In today's episode, we're going to talk about my thoughts on a very common phrase in our movement, and are we using it correctly? Hi friends, this is Bethany Jennings, and you're listening to We Should Talk. It's a podcast where we talk about anything and everything to encourage, equip, and empower you to be a decent human. Let's talk. Hello, friends. Uh, As indicated in the um, opening statements of today's episode, uh, we're going to talk about a very common phrase in our movement. Maybe in other movements. I don't know. I just know about our movement. Um, uh, The phrase is the foolishness of preaching. And this is, I know this season is the quality conversation season, but this specific episode I'm not having a conversation with someone, but I am talking about a conversation I had with my husband. Um, This was originally recorded on June uh, 14th or something like that during my morning time. Um, And so it's just been kind of sitting there. So this isn't me talking to anybody, but this is me talking about the conversation David and I had uh, previously. So anyways. I will say nothing in this episode is meant to cause controversy or to cause confusion. These are my thoughts on scripture. And if your pastor says otherwise, he's probably right and I'm probably wrong. Anyways, we will talk here in a minute. So my husband and I were discussing something uh, last night about three in the morning because that's when we discuss things. Um... And I kind of, I just want to record my thoughts on this and, um, we'll just see what happens. So we were talking about how, um, a lot of times people will use the phrase, they are won by the foolishness of preaching. And a lot of times when, when this is said, it's usually in a pulpit or in some kind of a minister's meeting. And it is implied that if you act a fool while you're preaching, That's what saves people. Or if you're willing to be made a fool while you're preaching, that's what saves people. And I told him, I said, you know, I've read the Bible a few times, but I'm not, I'm not sure about the context of that. So I need to go back and read it because there's also scriptures that say, you know, you are saved by this, or you were saved through that, or you are, you know, I mean, ultimately Christ is what saves us. The blood of Jesus is what saves us. We recently listened to a song that said something about the veil is torn and now I'm saved. And I get what they mean, but the tearing of the veil is not what saves us. The tearing of the veil is not what covers our sin. It's the blood of Christ that covers our sin. The the lamb for sinners slain. He, the lamb is what saves us. So um, there's also scripture in, uh, I'm going to say first Peter, that says, um, those that will not be saved through preaching will be saved through the holiness of your conversation. So I said, let's, I said, I don't understand the context. So he just pulled up his phone or the Bible on his phone and read it. Um, so I'm going to read, I'm going to read ESV first. It's actually this, this portion of scripture is in first Corinthians one. I'm going to read ESV first. Um, and then we'll go from there. 
So the first few scriptures are about him greeting everybody. You get to verse 4, and it's, I give thanks for you always because you're amazing. Verse 10 talks about the divisions of the church. Um, and that's that's really where this gets started, this portion that we're talking about. So I'll start on verse 10, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that none of you and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that no one of no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the pow- the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So that's verse seventeen. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He's not saying that you shouldn't be baptized, obviously. But he's saying, I'm not sent to baptize in my name. I'm sent to preach the gospel. And I don't, I'm not sent to do that with eloquent, fancy words and wisdom. Because if I do that with words of eloquent wisdom, the cross of Christ is emptied of its power because you could blame all of your salvation on how fancy my words are. That's what he's saying there in verse 17. So verse 18, it says, For the word of the cross is folly, this is ESV, is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. That's the scripture that people, the, that's the portion of the scripture that people are like, by the foolishness of preaching, we're saved. This is verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So God knew, because he is so wise, that the world was not going to come to know him through wisdom. The world's not going to come to understand God and what he has done for us because they are so wise or they are taught such wise things. But because God is wise, it pleased him through the folly or foolishness, is what it says in KJV, the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. All they want is signs. Show us a miracle. Break some bread. And Greeks seek wisdom. The Greeks want to, they're all about status and we need to study the, the wisdom of men. And, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews, it confuses them. And folly to Gentiles, it just sounds foolish and crazy to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
So, that's ESV. Let's read this in NIV. I'm just going to read portions of it. We have some frame of reference now. Starting at verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. We've already talked about that one. Then go down to um, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. In other words, if you're not saved, if you have no concept, no personal relationship with the cross, the concept of the cross sounds utterly insane. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Once you have a personal experience with that cross and it just keeps on saving you, you understand, oh, that's the power of God saving me. And it, it doesn't make sense to everyone, especially if there's no personal relationship with the cross. So verse 21 says, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. Again, there's nothing you can teach this world to help them know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So again, not, he was, not that he was pleased that the preacher's up there acting a fool, or he was up pleased that the preacher was willing to be made a fool. He was pleased that through this mind-boggling message, that makes no sense to those who are just seeking wisdom, to those who are just seeking explanation. That's what saved, that's what pleased him. That it doesn't it can't be explained by philosophers and it can't be explained by that's not what it's about. Because when someone comes in with their idea and their revelation and their interpretation, it steals the power of the cross. So for the foolishness of God, oh where are we at? I'm sorry. Verse 21. Please God through the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. Verse 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, whether you're Greek or Jew, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So what we preach confuses the Jews. Gentiles thinks it's crazy. But those who God has called, what we preach, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 25, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God stronger than human strength. Even, even at his weakest, he's stronger than we are. Okay, so there's that. Now I want to read the, it's going to sound crazy. I want to read. The complete, it's called a complete Jewish Bible. So it takes like the original, the original languages and gives like more literal interpretations of their words. So let's read that. Where are we at? Sorry. Verse 10. Nevertheless, brothers, I call you in the name of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, to agree all of you in what you say. And let not yourselves remain split into factions, but be restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. So this is what we're talking about. Y'all are talking about I'm baptized by this one and I'm baptized by that one. Ain't nobody care. Verse 13. Has the Messiah been split into pieces? Was it, was it me who was put to death for you? Were you immersed in, the, in my name? Again, not... Not sprinkled, immersed, baptized, immersed is the script, is the actual word there. 
I thank God that I didn't immerse or baptize any of you except for Christmas and Gaius. Otherwise, someone might say they were indeed immersed or baptized into my name. So verse 17, Messiah, the Messiah did not send me to immerse, baptize, but to proclaim the good news and to do it without relying on wisdom that consists of mere rhetoric so as to rob the Messiah's execution stake of its power. Again, that's, he didn't tell, tell me to come be fancy and preach all these fancy things and preach above everybody's head. And that saved people. That's not what he said. He told me to come preach him and he'd take care of it because I'm not robbing the cross. Verse 18, for the message about the execution stake or crucifixion is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed. That's the, that folly word. It's, it's foolishness. It's folly. Again, this is the Jewish Bible, complete Jewish Bible. So we're using more literal translations of these words. For the message about the execution stake or cru the crucifixion, the cross, is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed. When you're being destroyed, the cross sounds like craziness. craziness. But to us in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, this is what it says, Tanakh says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Verse 20, where does that leave the philosopher, the Torah teacher, or any of today's thinkers? Hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? Verse 21, for God's wisdom ordained that the world, using its own wisdom, would not come to know him. Therefore, God, God decided to use the nonsense, quote, it's in quotes, the nonsense of what we proclaim as his means of saving those who come to trust in it. Precisely because Jews ask for signs and Greeks try to find wisdom. We go on proclaiming a Messiah executed on a stake or a cross as a criminal. To Jews, this is an obstacle and to Greeks, it is nonsense. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, this same Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. For God's nonsense, quote-unquote nonsense, is wiser than humanity's, quote-unquote, wisdom. And his weakness, stronger than humanity's strength. So, again, using a more literal translation of this portion of Scripture, and using the entire portion of scripture, not just literally half of a verse that is quoted out of context sometimes. I'm not saying everyone uses it out of context, but I am saying I have heard it used out of context. God is not saying if you get up there and act a fool, that's what's going to win people. If you get up there and you're willing to be made a fool, that's what's going to win people. What he is saying is the what what the world would see as nonsense, those who have no experience with the Christ would see as nonsense. That's what saves people. Because we are saved by faith, right? So who needs faith when it makes sense? Who needs faith when it makes sense? If everything could be explained and made perfect total sense to the non-believer, there would be no no need for faith that this wild concept of a sacrificial lamb, which was actually God in flesh, can take away your sins and give you eternal life. 
I know a lot of us are like churched deep. Like we showed up from our mothers churched. Or we've been churched for a very long time, long time, years and years and years. And I think it is often difficult for us to conceptualize or even remember if, if you weren't always saved or always around the church to conceptualize the fact that this sounds pretty crazy. Like this sounds like nonsense. Like what are these people talking about? But there is an inexplicable drawing of the cross, a drawing through his kindness that makes us want to repent and turn from our ways. But it's not because of the wisdom and eloquence of a man in a pulpit. Because if we say his sermon was so eloquent that I got saved, that's saying that that preacher saved you. Preachers don't save people. The nonsense of the message, the craziness of this story is what saves people. Because they hear it and they have faith to believe it. And they start following Christ and he takes care of the rest. So again, this is just my thoughts. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of preaching. I love preaching. I've been raised, I've been raised around the best preachers in our movement. Blessed to know them. Blessed to hear amazing preaching. Mind-boggling, revelatory preaching. I'm not saying stop preaching. I wouldn't, no, I need preaching in my life. What I am saying is preachers don't save people. Christ saves people. And when we preach, we need to know who we're preaching to and how to connect to that congregation. We don't need to get up and preach just to the people in the preacher's chairs to impress them with our eloquence. Preach Christ and him crucified is what we're told to do in the Bible. And if you preach Christ and him crucified, and even though it is a crazy concept or quote unquote nonsense, as a more literal translation of the original language says, to those who don't believe, it's still going to draw them. They are drawn by the cross. Something about that forgiveness, something about that clean slate completely changes the game for them. But it's not me. It's not what I say. And I remind myself of that because there is a lot of pressure when you're Doug White's kid and you're speaking somewhere. You're David Jennings' wife and you're speaking somewhere. And you're like, there, there is this pressure to perform. But I'm not there to perform for people. I'm there to preach Christ and him crucified. I'm there to express the gospel and edify the church. That's what I'm there for. Not to win people with my eloquence and wisdom. Because my wisdom, compared to God's wisdom, is pretty small. All right, so these are the thoughts of uh, David and Bethany at 3 in the morning. I hope you have enjoyed our ponderings, and we will talk at you later. Well, that was fun. Uh, I'm glad you stuck around for the whole thing. And thank you for talking to me today. Y'all go like and follow and review and do all the podcast things that people do. And um, don't forget to be a good human.